this book that Paul wrote as well, inspired as we understand by the Holy Spirit, Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to begin at verse 15. Uh, This is the reason, once again, we recited the words of the Nicene Creed, because it is that creed that uh, sought to solidify in the church's teaching and understanding who Jesus Christ was. And uh, many of those thoughts that you find in the Nicene Creed are taken from this section, uh, these verses of Colossians chapter 1. And then uh, our text for tonight is verses 21, 22, and 23. Let us hear then God's word to us. He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile, in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation, under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's again ask for God's blessing upon it. Father, as we have heard your word, we pray, Father, that we may now receive that word that you have given to us in this scripture passage, that we might receive it, Father, with understanding, that we might receive it as truth, And that we might receive it, Father, in a way that we might live this glorious truth as well. We pray, Lord, for your blessing upon the gospel wherever it has gone forth in this day. That, uh, Father, whether it be through uh, the various airways, radio, or live streaming, television, whether it has gone through by voice, Father, whatever way your word has gone forth, we No, Lord, it will not return to you void. It will indeed accomplish that for which it was given. And we pray then, Lord, for your blessing upon the preaching of your word this evening as well, that it might indeed encourage us in our walk of faith as well to hold to Christ. In his name we pray, God's people say, Amen. So we want to look at three things from this passage. Verse 21 takes us into the past. 
and you who once were past. Paul is telling the church at Colossae something about their past. Secondly, he's telling them something about their present. Verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body. Now, present. So presently, they are in a different situation than they were in verse 21. Verse 23 speaks of the future. If, if indeed you continue in the faith, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. So our three points, if you take the notes, are simply these. The past, the present, and the future. Paul is really telling their story. This, this is really the, their history. Their history, their story. It's our story. It, it is, in a sense, every believer's story. He's telling it, as it were, to, to this church of Colossae. That's who he's writing to. They're his targeted audience. The Holy Spirit knew that you and I would be covering this passage this evening, but Paul didn't. Paul, Paul did not know where that letter of the church of Colossae was going to go. From Paul's perspective, it's going to that church at Colossae. They're the ones who are going to read it. Those were the ones that Paul had in view as he wrote. But the Holy Spirit, you see, has a much bigger picture in mind. So yes, it's the story of the Colossian church the believers there. But it's also the story, in a sense, of every single believer. For you see, we all have a past. Notice what Paul tells us in verse 21 about that past. And you, and that means not just the church at Colossae, that means you and I as well, once were, what were we at one time? At one time, Paul says, we were alienated. We were alienated from God. We were separate from God. God was not our friend. God was our enemy. We had, we had been removed from him. During the last several months now, we've sort of been alienated. We've been absent. Some of you perhaps had a very unique Mother's Day. Some of you perhaps uh, didn't get to see your children. Others of you perhaps uh, went to a, a nursing facility and stood out in front and you, you didn't, weren't allowed to enter, but you held up a sign. There's probably many folks who, who lined out in front of our various hospitals in our community with a sign to, to show mom who's in the hospital that, that they're there. But there's that alienation. Well, that's mild, my folks. This sort of alienation that we've kind of dealt with is mild, is small. We, we can't even really say it's a comparison at all to the alienation that we were from God. We were alienated from Him. Willingly. It was our desire. We wanted to. 
The alienation that we're dealing with is sort of an alienation that comes from above, isn't it? It's been decreed, as many think of it, right? But this alienation that Paul is speaking of here is a willing alienation. We didn't want anything to do with God. We didn't want to be close to God. Remember, it's Adam who is hiding from God in the garden. It's not Adam running to God and saying, oh God, I want a relationship with you yet. I want to be close to you. No, Adam is hiding. He is trying to cover himself in any way possible. He wants to be away from God. You see, my friends, there are no innocent heathen. There are no heathens that are innocent. Oh, they just don't know about God. That, that's it. They, they just, if, if only they had enough information. No, that's not true. The heathen are not innocent. They're guilty. Guilty of what? Of willingly wanting to be separate from God. Of being alienated from him. This is what Paul was telling the Roman church in Romans chapter 1. That people follow their own passions, their own desires. They don't want to believe the truth. They are, what does Paul say? Verse 21, not only are they alienated, but they are hostile in mind. They do not think God's thoughts. That's what we did. That's us. We didn't think God's thoughts after him. We were not thinking on the same level. We were not thinking on the same plane. We, we were not even thinking in the same realm, in the same universe. We were totally out of thought with God. We were not at all on the same page. We were headed one way with our thought pattern, me, myself, and I. And God is looking at things and thinking of things in a completely different way. We were alienated from God. We were hostile. He didn't want anything to do with the way in which God is. We don't want anything to do with that. We don't want anything to do with a God who is loving and gracious and kind. We didn't want anything to do with a God who is holy and pure and sinless. We were hostile to that way of thinking. See, that's the church at Colossae. That's, that's these, these believers that are there. Paul is not saying some of you. It's the whole church. They're all that way. But you see, that's their past. It's not the present, but it was their past, just as it was true of each one of us as well. But not only, you see, are they alienated in terms of their position, they're hostile in terms of their thinking, but they're doing evil deeds. They are separated, they are alienated from God by their very actions. Their lifestyle is opposed to the will of God. Don't you hear Romans chapter 1 coming out of it? You know, they they do not believe the truth, they believe the lie. They willingly want to latch on to the lie, not the truth of God. So what happens? They follow their own passions. They're giving over to their own passions, their own evil deeds, their own evil desires. Paul says, that's what you were, Colossian church. Paul says that to you and I as well. That's our past. It's every single believer's story. Every single believer. 
has this very same past. Alienated from God, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. You, you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled. He has now. Here's the present reality. Here is the present situation. What is the position of the Colossian church now? Reconciled. Reconciled by Christ. Go back to verse 20, right? And through him, that is Christ, to reconcile to himself all things. That's where we were last Lord's Day, right? And that reconciliation is the bringing back together. That reconciliation is the peace that God says, it's, I'm at peace with you. How does that happen? That happens through Christ. Now Paul is explaining a little bit more detail how that took place. How does Christ reconcile us to God? How does Christ make things right between ourselves and God? But before we move on to those two points, listen to this again. He has now reconciled. Presently, Every believer is reconciled because of Christ. It's not Christ made reconciliation possible. It's not Christ made reconciliation an opportunity. It's not that Christ made reconciliation a choice. Christ did all the work. Yep, he died on the cross. He paid for the sins. He did the atonement. There it is. It's available. Now you just latch on to that which Christ has done. You've, you've got to grab hold to what Christ is. In order to be reconciled, you need to step forward. You need to latch on. That is a denial of the word of God. It's all Christ. Look at the text. He has now reconciled. He did it. It's not you and he. It's not he and some of you. It's not him making it possible. You get the choice. He has reconciled. Now go back to who this is. Go back to 15 through 20. Why is it that Christ is able to reconcile, because he is the image of the invisible God. Because in him all the fullness of God has dwelt. See, Paul's point here is that salvation is accomplished because from beginning to end, it is God. If salvation were ever dependent upon Bob and Manon, it would never occur for Bob Van Manen. If somehow you and I had some sort of choice in this matter, we would never choose it. Why? Because we are alienated, we are hostile in mind. And because of our evil deeds, we would never
never take the choice. Here's reconciliation. Don't want anything to do with that. But I made it possible. Could care less. That's the way all of us would have responded. That's why the work of reconciliation has to be totally, completely upon Christ. That's what Paul is telling us. Christ has reconciled us. Has reconciled. It is a done. It is a final. It is an authoritative, sovereign act of God in Jesus Christ. Now, how does Christ, how does Christ do this? Notice what Paul says, verse 22. He has now reconciled, how? In his body of flesh. In his body of flesh. Turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 5. Let me make this tie-in to you, with you. Romans chapter 5. Let's go down to verse 12. Romans 5, 12. And I want you to note the word man and the importance in this section of the word man. Right? Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many? And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Colossians 1.22, he has now reconciled how? In his body. He became a man. A man of flesh. Now, remember where, where we're at here, okay? Part, part of the, the situation of Colossa is that there are those who are starting to say, and starting to teach the material world is bad, the material world is evil, only the spiritual world is good. And part of where that teaching is going is to say Christ never had a physical body. Christ only appeared to have a physical body, but he did not have one. Now notice what Paul is saying. Your very reconciliation with God depends upon the flesh of Jesus Christ. If Christ 
were only a spiritual being and not a man, there is no reconciliation. So that teaching that, that somehow says the material is bad, spiritual is good, Christ has no physical body, only a spiritual body, well, that Paul is, is, as it were, blowing it all up and saying in their faces and saying, well, then you have no salvation. Because salvation can only be accomplished. Re- reconciliation can only come through the flesh. It is necessary that Christ had a body of flesh. If that make flesh evil, does that make the material bad then? Christ took on flesh. How can we say the flesh then is bad in that sense? That all material things are evil. But that's the way some would have us look at the world even today. And it's a danger because of where it takes us in our view of Christ. In his body. That's the point Paul is making in 15 through 20. In this resurrected Christ, this one who was dead and is now alive, this one who was flesh and blood, who died upon a cross, but is now living, that Christ was the fullness of God. And in that fullness of God, in his flesh, He bore our punishment, making reconciliation a possibility. No, not a possibility, Bob. The reality, the reality for every single believer. Verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, by his death on the cross, Philippians chapter 2, he became obedient even unto death on the cross. Within Presbyterian theology, much is made over the fact that, that Christ had an active and passive obedience. The importance of Christ taking on flesh is the fact that he lived that sinless life in a body of flesh so that his sacrifice is counted as worthy. His active and passive obedience. He becomes obedient even unto death. Christ's life in the flesh is a life of obedience. That's why the reconciliation can occur. That's why it is accomplished. Because it is God in flesh. It is Emmanuel who accomplishes it. By his perfect obedience and by his sacrificial death. He has now reconciled. In order. What's the point of our reconciliation? In order to present you. It is Christ's desire to present you as a gift to the Father. Why, why, why the, the body of flesh? Why the suffering on the cross? Why rec- reconciliation? So that you and I might be presented as the gift. 
Father, here they are. Here they are. Here, here are the ones for whom I've died. Here they are. Here, here's the reconciled ones, Father. But notice how he presents us. He presents us holy, cleansed from sin, and separated for God's service. Holy. A number of years ago, when on our Thursday morning Bible study, we were making our way through uh, the books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. Oh, and then we came to it, and somebody said, are we really going to do Leviticus? Yes, we're going to do Leviticus. Why? Because Leviticus teaches us holiness. It teaches us how to be separated from sin. And that it can only take place through the sacrifice. It can only take place through the blood pointing us to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. But also how we are to live as God's separate people. How we are to live distinctly in this world. How we are to live uniquely. How we are to be different from the world around us. Holy. That's how Christ is going to present us to the Father as holy. Those who have been separated for the service and for the glory of God. Without sin. Blameless. Blameless. Blameless carries the idea of without spot or blemish. Remember there were rules about those animals that could be sacrificed. They always have to be without blemish, without spot. There couldn't be any markings. There couldn't be any scars. They had to be the perfect lamb of God. Right? So you can just kind of look at your hands. Probably a number of you bear scars all over your hands, right? Blemishes, right? Might have some on your face, some scars. You might have some on your knees from where you fell down on your bike at one time and that little scar is still there. As many of you know, I I preach these sermons for for Walker as well. And I was in the sermon at Walker, I was telling them, I, I still have a scar it's right here. Hey, there's a piece of pencil lead in my leg. That piece of pencil lead has been there since fifth grade. Okay? Because I was sitting on the back steps okay, of Walker Church before Wednesday night catechism. Okay? And as boys do, you know, you get to teasing the girls and so on. And you know, taking my pencil and I'm not sure I was doing it, or I, I think I could name the kid, but I won't do that, okay? And, and flipping the hair, and all of a sudden, this pencil just came, whoop, like that. And the lead's still there, okay? The lead is still in my leg, right? Some of you are starting to get those, do I dare say, age spots, right? You buy the special cream, and it's supposed to take it away, and it does for maybe five minutes, and then they come back. Right? It works for a few minutes, right? Some of you got those spots now, you got to go to the doctor and you got to get them dug out, right? But we just don't have those physical spots, do we? We've got those spiritual spots all over us. We've got that sin. Yet Christ, by his work 
of reconciliation is going to present us before the Father, not only holy, there won't even be a blemish mark. There will not even be the spot of sin remaining. He has now reconciled. What does that mean? It means you and I are holy. It means you and I are without blemish in the sight of God. And it means, notice Paul is not done, and above reproach. The accuser, Satan, cannot make one single accusation of sin against us. His mouth is silenced. Why? Because of 15 through 20. Because of who it is that we're dealing with. Because it is Christ who is saying, Enough! No more. You may not charge my people with any sin. Some of you today, mothers, grandmothers, right? Maybe got a little coloring thing from one of your grandchildren or one of your children. And you might have opened it up and it's like, what is this, honey? Right? But it really doesn't matter. Beautiful. And nobody can come and say, hey, that's the ugliest little picture I've, coloring picture I've ever seen. Man, you'd be in a terror at them. That's my grandchild's. Don't you say. Christ, to the umpteenth degree, as the accuser desires to open his mouth and to level the charges, don't even dare, Satan. Don't even try. See, the day of judgment for you and I is not a day of fear. This is the day that all guilt is silenced and all charges are withdrawn because he presents us holy, blameless, above reproach. This is what reconciliation has accomplished now, presently. This is where things are at with you and the Lord. Past, present. That's true of every believer in Jesus Christ. It's not true of some believers in Jesus Christ. It's true of every believer in Jesus Christ. Past, present. Ah, but then there's verse 23, right? If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And you and I go, okay, here it is. If you continue. If you continue. So it is up to us. Well, not really. Go back with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Just back a couple of pages from where we're at. Philippians 2 verse 12. Therefore, 
And just think of how we misuse this verse. But think of what the reality of this verse actually is. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And what do we do? We put a period there. See, work it out. It's up to you. You got to do it. Come on. Look at the rest of the sentence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. If you continue. Well, if God is in me, if the Holy Spirit dwells in me, it's going to continue. There is no question here. This isn't, ooh, better put a big question mark there about my salvation. No. The Holy Spirit resides within us. The Holy Spirit is not going to quit. The Holy Spirit is not going to leave. The Holy Spirit is not going to get partway through the job and say, ah, that's enough. This guy's too hard. This guy's too difficult. I'm giving up. It is God who works in you. God will bring this about. What then does Paul mean by this? He means by it the same thing that we hear Jesus say in John 15, 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. You need to abide in me. Now the question is not, can a true believer not abide in Christ? That's not the question. Every true believer abides in Christ. Every true believer has the Holy Spirit in them. Every true believer is going to continue in Christ. The question Paul has for the church at Colossae is this. Are you a part of just the visible church of Christ? Or are you part of the invisible church of Christ? Are you just in it for the social gathering? Are you just in it for the emotional attachment? Are you just in it to please family friends? Are you just in it to try to work out your own salvation? Or is it the truth? Is it the living reality? That Christ has reconciled you to the Father. Now why does Paul say that? Because there are all sorts of threats coming upon this church of Colossae. Threats to go back to paganism. Threats to enter into a legalism. Threats to enter in some sort of mystical experiences that includes the worship of angels. You might say, why would they worship of angels? Why would they worship angels? Because angels, you see, have only a spiritual being. They never had a physical one. So angels must be superior to Christ because he had a physical one and we know physical stuff is bad. So this is just going to take them way away from Christ. And Paul says, no, don't let that happen. If you truly are members of the body of Christ, if you are truly in Christ, then remain in Christ. Stay there. Don't be moved. Don't be shifting, verse 23. Not shifting from the hope. Don't move away from Christ. Stay in Christ. I know there's all sorts of threats, but stay there. Hold on to Christ. Don't leave Christ. Not now, not ever. Hold on to him. 
What a reminder to you and I in the day and age of COVID. Hold on to Christ. Hold on to Christ. Sometimes wonders and ponders, and I've shared this in the Bible, the daily Bible studies as well. Sometimes one wonders what the church looks like at the other end of this. What will the church look like? What will the church of Jesus Christ be like at the end of this? Is God using this to just filter things out? And I don't mean by being here in church on a Sunday night. That's, that's not what I mean. What I mean by it is this. Is this God's means of separating out those who are truly trusting in Christ? And those who are looking for something else to trust in. Something else to put their hope in. Something else to put their confidence in. I think Paul's words to the church today are Paul's words to the church of Colossae. Don't shift from the hope of Christ. Hold unto Christ. Because that's the only hope we have. The hope is not going to be a vaccine, folks. The hope is not elimination of executive orders. The hope is not the end of COVID. Okay? If that's what your hope is, you need to know Christ. Our hope in life and in death is that we are not our own, but we belong body and soul to our faithful Savior. He's the one who has reconciled. He's the one who has done the work. Hold on to Christ. But then notice how Paul ends this. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. What is is he saying? You heard the message of the gospel. That message of the gospel, through the work of the Holy Spirit, has wrought faith in your hearts. That faith has brought about a great hope. That's the message of the gospel. Here it is, folks. Christ has reconciled his people. That's the glorious hope. Paul says, I've been appointed a minister. But you know that word minister there does not mean an ordained position. He's not using it like like we use it today. Oh, that person's a minister. They've been ordained to the ministry. That's not what Paul means by that. Here, Paul means minister as the means by which the gospel goes out. See, we are all 
to be ministers of the gospel. We are all to be ministers of reconciliation. That is what the church is to be about, to bring the message of reconciliation fully accomplished in and through Jesus Christ and through Him alone, the glorious hope for all of eternity, a message for our community, a message for our nation, a message for the world. I remember when I was a kid at Walker Church, we we used to have a a faith promise week. And and every year, you know, you'd have missionaries on one end, missionaries on the other end, and so on, and then we'd have a hymn for for that faith promise year. And one year we had the song, We've a Story to Tell to the Nations. We've a story. You know what story it is? It's your story. That's the story. You say, what's my story? You have a past. You have a present. Your past is you were alienated and hostile to God doing evil deeds. Your present is that you are now reconciled in and through Jesus Christ. And to that hope, you will cling. We have a story to tell to the nations. Our story. Because you see, when we tell our story, it's not really our story, is it? It's really His. It's really Christ. It's about Him. And for what he has done for us out of love and out of grace. As you leave this place today, as you go back into the world tomorrow, your community, your family, some of you get to go to your workplace, you have a story to tell. Story of Christ. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Father, that as you have appointed all of us as believers to be this ministers of the gospel, to bring the message of Jesus Christ, that, Father, from our mouths, from our lips, from our lives, will flow an anthem of praise to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For it is in him, that every blessing comes. And we thank you, Father, for your love and grace to us, that you have reconciled us through his body, through his death, and have given to us glorious, glorious future. In his name, God's people say, Amen.